0: Welcome to Horizon Church Online. We're so glad that you're watching and worshiping with us today. And we hope today is encouraging and inspiring. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about lament, taking time to process the pain of your present and of your past so that you can move into a better future. And I was telling a friend of mine, a fellow pastor, about this this week. And he goes, Alex, that's crazy. Lament. Is not a subject that people are going to line up to listen to. Like, that's, lament is never going to go viral. People don't want to hear about sad things. But I think it's needed. I think it's necessary. I realize that no one is like, man, let's talk about death more. You know, let's talk about lament more. But there's something inside of us that needs to talk about this because this is a reality. This is a real part of our world. I think if we're honest, all of us would love to be happy all the time. But unfortunately, in a broken world, we're going to have to deal with the pain of either what someone else did, the pain of the consequences of something we did, or just the pain of uh, being in an off-kilter world that doesn't work and operate like God intended it to. Sky Jethani says, We must not fall into the delusion that God has called us to a perpetual state of ever-increasing happiness. Jesus reminds us, That God is with us when we mourn, and because of this, in a broken world, mourning is to be expected, but we do not weep like those without hope. The proper response to pain is to make space to process it, not to run away from it, not to ignore it just because it's um, uncomfortable, just because it's discomforting. We need to process it. Jesus lamented. We talked about that our first week in this series. And if we're going to learn to become students of the way that Jesus lived and loved, we need to lament. We need to take time to process our disappointments and our pains. Um, I believe that Jesus lived the greatest human life of anyone who's ever lived. If you want to live the most abundant full human life you can with whatever time you have on this earth then become a student of the way that jesus lived the way that he operated the way that he treated other people his way of life is the template for the most abundant life that you can have by becoming students of his or disciples of his way of life we can live the greatest human life too now part of that is being honest and open about our failures and our disappointments and our pain. Part of that is finding space to lament. Jesus in his teachings even said, blessed are those who mourn. That somehow through mourning you're going to reach blessing. Not this idea that everything is going to um, be all health and wealth, but rather this idea that you're going to have a deeper experience with God. You're going to have a more full human experience when you go through mourning rather than trying to find a detour around it. Ignoring, ignoring pain doesn't make it go away. Ignoring pain just makes you drag your pain into every scenario in the future. But by taking some time to process your pain in the present, you're able to move into the future without dragging it behind you. Now sometimes. We've talked about all kinds of different things to lament, but this week we're going to talk about when you do everything right. You sacrifice everything. You give everything. You study and train and prepare. You give it your all, and the results are abysmal. The results aren't what you wanted. They aren't what you hoped for and dreamed for, um, and you end up with this deep disappointment because you gave it everything you possibly could you you did everything you possibly can and it just didn't work out i grew up hearing this maybe if you're a millennial maybe you heard this too from your parents you can be whatever you want if you put your mind to it you can do anything now i tried jumping out of the treehouse and i fell and had a bloodied nose so i couldn't fly but, uh, you know, the, the thinking that I was constantly told by good, loving parents who had every best intention was that if you put in the work, if you give it your all, you will see the ro- results that you want. Now, I think while optimistic and encouraging, these statements aren't really real. They're not realistic. Sometimes you can sacrifice everything. You can give every ounce of emotion. You can exhaust every resource. You can give your all and it just doesn't seem to be any results. Nothing seems to change. Everything just goes back to the way it was. Sometimes you can do the right thing the right way and nothing good comes of it. And you think, what was even the point of doing it the right way if no good was going to come out of it? Sometimes God asks you to do something and you do it his way and you obey what he asks and he knows that it's not going to work out the way that you think and hope and you don't see the results that you thought you would. There is a real lament, a deep spiritual protest that comes from giving your all for something and not seeing any recognition and not seeing any results. And we see that in the story of Elijah, an Old Testament prophet, in 1 Kings 19 verses 1 through 18. King Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods punish me and punish me severely if I don't make your life like one of those that you have killed by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately took off running for his life. When he came to Beersheba, that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there and he went a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Despite all my work and all my efforts, I'm no better than them. Then he lay down and slept under the tree. Suddenly an angel touched him and the angel told him, get up and eat. And then he looked, and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate, and he drank, and lay down again. And then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him, and he said, Get up and eat, or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and then on the strength from that food, he walked forty days and forty nights in Horeb, the mountain of God. And he entered a cave there, and he spent the night. And suddenly the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of armies. I've done everything. I've been passionate. I've given it my all. But the Israelites have abandoned your promises, God. They've torn down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they're looking to take my life. And then God said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. And at that moment, the Lord passed by and a great mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, Why are you here, Elijah? I've been very zealous for the Lord God of armies. I've been very zealous for you, Yahweh, but the Israelites have abandoned your promises, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they're looking for to take my life then the Lord said to him, Go and return by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you are to anoint Haziel as king over Aram. You are to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, son of Shapet, and Abel-Mohab, as prophet in your place. Then Jehu will put, a de- will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Haziel. And Elijah will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Jehu. But I will leave 7,000 in Israel. There are still 7,000 people, every knee that has not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Now, epic story. I love the stories of Elijah. Like, they're always super intense. He So, the little backstory here. King Ahab is widely considered the most evil, wicked king that Israel ever saw. He did all kinds of horrible things. One time he had a neighbor who had a vineyard. He's like, I like that vineyard. Can I buy it? And the neighbor said, "This land has been in my family's. Uh, has been in my family for generations. I could never sell it." Ahab was like, "Okay, I'll kill you and take it." So he killed him and took it. You know, like uh, he was just a horrible, awful guy. He married a Phoenician woman, who, as soon as they were married, she moved to Israel, and her her mission in life was to eradicate the worship of Yahweh and replace it with this worship of a god called Baal. Baal was a fertility god. He was a sun god. He would make your crops grow and he would give you children and and people would do horrible sacrifices to him and in his name in order to get his blessing to have bigger families and to have bigger bountiful crops. And so she tried to wipe out every mention of Yahweh and every worshiper of Yahweh in the land and replace it with Baal. Now, Elijah had just had his greatest sermon ever in his entire ministry. He went up to this mountain and hundreds of these priests and prophets of Baal lined up. And they had two sacrifices. And Elijah says, let the real God send down fire on the altar. And uh, the priests and prophets of Baal, they stabbed themselves because blood would uh, appease Baal. And they tried to get his attention um, to pour down fire. He never did anything. And then Elijah poured water over his altar a bunch of times and then Yahweh sent down fire and burned it up. And all the Israelites who were gathered there, they said, Baal isn't God, Yahweh is God, Yahweh is God. And they started chanting it. And Elijah was like, yes, we're throwing out these, these foreign false gods and we are going back to worshiping Yahweh like he always intended. We're supposed to be a platform so his Messiah can come to us. And announce the restoration between God and humanity through this future person, Jesus. But Elijah comes out of there, you know, like crowd surfing on everybody. Like it's the greatest day ever. And then the people just kind of all go back to their homes. And Jezebel, the Phoenician queen, she says, I'm going to kill you, Elijah. And he's like, well, yeah, but I got all these people standing with me and they're just all gone. Like he, he's just standing alone. He thought that it would be this great groundswell, this great rebellion, that it was going to change everything. He gave this his all. He stood up to hundreds of false prophets. God sent down fire. The people started chanting. And he's like, this is it. This is the turning point. I've given everything and it's worth it because of this. And then right after that, he's alone. Everybody deserted him. They went back to their houses. He's like, I thought we were going to do something. They're like, nah, we're good. And now he's running for his life as the Phoenician queen. She's not overthrown. There hasn't been a rebellion. And she's coming after him. Now, have you ever been in a moment like that? Where you think, this is it. I'm standing up. I'm speaking out. I'm doing the right thing. This is my moment. Everything's going to be different after this. I've sacrificed everything for this. I've prepared everything for this. I'm doing this the right way at the right time. And then... Nothing. Maybe you um, sacrificed and worked long hours. Maybe you started a business or wrote a book or had a relationship and you gave it everything and in the end the business floundered. Or no one published a book or the relationship ended and you think, what a waste of time. That's something to lament. You think, I've given this everything and look, it failed. It faltered. It floundered. What a waste. Why did I even do it? Now, I've given Horizon Community Church everything I think I possibly can. Like, I love this church. I love that it's about relationships and not religion. I love every one of you watching, everyone who attends, everyone who's been about this, even those who are in the community who are like, I don't know if I believe that there's a God, but I like you in your church. I've loved getting to meet you and become friends with you. I've met some of the coolest people in my entire life through this church. And so hear what I say very carefully. I love Horizon. But there's times that I lament because my original dream when I read every book I possibly could and I went to every conference and training and I consulted with everyone who knew something about church planting and I tried to learn everything and I exhausted all my emotional and spiritual and physical strength serving the community and doing everything I can and trying to give everything. I've exhausted financial resources and every avenue of resource that I could. And uh, I, I got to tell you, like, I just imagined we'd be at a 100 people by now. I'd be, I imagine we'd be planting other churches by now, starting other highly relational churches by now. And so there's a part of me that has to lament because I was like, I've given it everything and the results haven't been as big as I thought they'd be. They haven't been as Uh, multiplying as I thought they'd be. It's healthy to lament when your expectations don't match your reality. Not everything I hoped and dreamed have come to pass. There's been a lot of heartache and disappointment. There's been betrayal from other pastors, from other um, spiritual leaders who should have been for me but instead fought against me or even tried to prevent me from starting a church. I wholeheartedly believe that God led me here to do this. He told me to come to this area. He told me to start this church. God doesn't speak to me all the time, but there's a few points in my life when I feel very clearly that God is communicating to me to go and do something, and starting this church is one of those things. But that doesn't mean that it will be easy or that it will be everything that you dream or hope or everything that you think should happen as a result of your sacrifice. After all, God often told his messengers, the prophets, to go and preach a message to people that he told them ahead of time, they're not going to listen to you. But I'm such a merciful and loving God, I still want you to tell them what I want them to hear. The prophets would go and say, turn back to Yahweh. If you don't turn back, destruction is coming. If you continue to practice these acts of violence, if you continue to oppress the poor, God's judgment is coming. Turn back. And God told him ahead of time, no one's going to listen to you, but I still want you to tell them because even when I know people are going to say no, I give them a chance. I think there's some valuable lessons that we can learn about lamenting from Elijah's story. First of all, lament can be lonely. You see here where Elijah, he runs to a certain place and then he leaves his servant and he goes out on his own. He, he separates himself from community. It doesn't have to be lonely, but it can feel lonely. Our natural response when we're hurting is to pull away from those who can't fully understand how badly we are hurting. Just because someone can't fully understand our pain doesn't mean they can't help you process your pain. Elijah wants to die in this passage. Without community, grief can feel like a dead-end road instead of a bridge to deeper blessing and experience with God. It can feel like a dead-end road that runs into despair unless you have other people around you who have also gone through grief and can tell you this isn't the end of the road. This isn't the end of your story. There's more after this. See, grief lies to you and makes you think you're alone. It makes you feel like you're the only one who is suffering or struggling and the only one who ever has. Another thing I see here is don't forget when you lament to eat and sleep and rest. See, grief takes an emotional and physical toll on us. That's one of the reasons I think we're not just a body, right? We're not just a, uh, made up of cells and organic matter. There's also this emotional, spiritual element to who we are. Something like betrayal and disappointment just doesn't affect you mentally. It also affects you physically. There's all kinds of studies on how stress, which is an emotional, maybe spiritual uh, feeling, ends up affecting your body. And so if you're going to lament, if you're going to say, I'm going to take this time to stop running away from my pain. Maybe the pain of the past. Maybe the pain of the present. Maybe the pain of disappointment of giving everything and doing everything the right way and not seeing the results I wanted. And um, I'm going to walk through this in a lament. I'm going to take time to craft this protest to God, to actually process my feelings and move to the other side of this thing. Well, make sure that you prepare mentally and physically, that you get enough sleep that you're eating healthy, clean foods that are going to give you energy and clear thought so that you can process and go through this. You don't lament by eating a tub of ice cream. That's how I run away from my problems, by eating a tub of ice cream so that the sugar helps me forget. You process your emotions by making sure you're well-rested and you've eaten clean, healthy foods, that you're in a good physical and emotional position to face the hard marathon of lament. Do you remember that episode of The Office when uh, they were all going to run a marathon together? And uh, Michael, the, uh, the manager there who always did ridiculous things, he's like, You got a carb load to be prepared for your run. You got a carb load. And so he ate like all these uh, Liguini, Alfredo laguini like meals from Olive Garden. And so he was too sick to run then. Um, I have friends who are long distance runners. I mean, they run like a hundred miles, like crazy distances. And they have to have enough calories in order to make that long distance run. And so yeah, the carb load, They, they have to have enough calories to not run out of energy when you're running that far. Lament is a long marathon and you need to make sure that you're physically and emotionally, spiritually rested and fed and prepared to walk through it. It's healthy to run a marathon, but if you don't prepare for that marathon, you're gonna end up getting hurt. It's healthy to lament your pain and grief. But if you don't make proper preparations, you're going to end up getting further hurt. Now, we also see here in the story of Elijah that God shows up in the midst of disappointment. Sometimes God has to let our expectations die in order to resurrect better expectations. Sometimes, whether we realize it or not, our dreams were big, but they were shallow and selfish. They were about us. They weren't about God and others and sometimes it's really hard to uh, dissect the difference between something that you want for god and others and something that you want for yourself and sometimes god allows your expectations to fail in order to help you see the clear divide between the two god always wants to bless a person in order to bless a people god doesn't want to give you a platform so that you have a bigger social media presence for you he wants to elevate you if it's going to elevate and help others and elevate his name and his glory. See, the upside-down logic of Jesus' kingdom says that we must deny ourselves. He says the greatest in his kingdom, the greatest person in God's mind, is not the person with the most power, the most money, the most influence, the biggest number of people. Jesus says the greatest person in his kingdom is the person who serves most often, most willingly, and most unselfishly. That's who Jesus sees as the greatest in the kingdom. I think that the smallest kingdom act can change the world. Now, we won't always see those results. And you might make a small kingdom act, an action of something that Jesus would want done if he was ruling and reigning as king on this earth. You may not see those results and you might think, what was the point of that? But I'm telling you, kingdom actions never fall flat. You may not always see the results, but kingdom actions end up growing and multiplying. Remember in when we went through the story of the parables, Jesus says the kingdom is like a small amount of yeast that's rolled into a great amount of flour. And he says, what happens is it starts small. It works slowly, you can't see it working. And then all of a sudden you come back and the dough has risen, it's spread everywhere. Every small kingdom act, when you do the right thing, you exhaust all your resources and emotional strength to do something that's right, something that the king, something that Jesus wants done, it's never wasted even if you don't see the results. If the task is good, the results don't matter. We don't work for the results, we work for the good. Lament forces us to look at our motivations. Am I doing this so I can see the results? Or am I doing this because God asked me to? Because Jesus would do things this way? Am I doing this because I hope that this will give me what I want? Or am I doing this because this is what Jesus wants? Your dream, your desire, might not look like it's coming true. Lament that. That's okay to lament. That's healthy. You need to do that. If you don't lament, it's going to torture you. Keep doing the right thing anyways, even if it looks like the right thing's not getting you what you want. Because doing the right thing has never been about getting what you want. It's about getting what He wants here on this earth, about having the King's will done on this earthly kingdom dead dreams separate those who keep working and those who are only working for success applause and fame which are